A website is never finished, especially a B2B tech website. Welcome to Forward Slash, the podcast that explores how B2B tech companies can leverage their websites to achieve fast, efficient, predictable, and scalable growth. In each episode, I take a big issue affecting the B2B tech landscape and then pick the brains of marketing leaders around the world to learn how the issue affects the questions B2B tech marketers should be asking about their websites and how to answer them. Let's get into it. John Dome, head of marketing at Stratagen, which is the management consulting agency that pioneered the jobs to be done theory, which we'll be diving into today and, and how it pertains to go to market uh, strategy and website strategy. How's it going, man? Good, man. Excited to talk to you today. Excited for the opportunity. How are you? Yeah. Uh, I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, and yeah, I've been really looking forward to this since we, since we last spoke. I, I can't wait to pick your brain about the jobs to be done framework and how it can be used for website strategy. Um, from where I'm sitting, we're basically going to be talking about the future of websites. Uh, but I, I think a, a good place to start is if you could tell me a little bit about Stratagen and, and what it is and who its services are for. Yeah. So uh, Stratagen has been around for three decades now. We've just crossed over the the 30-year mark um, and what was founded out of the necessity of product failures. Um, our, our founder, Tony Alwick, uh, started it. He was actually a product engineer on the PC Junior. Um, if you're old enough to remember the um, terrible failure that was the PC Junior, I think they, IBM um, spent uh, it was $2 billion in the research and development of the PC Junior to become the home PC. Mm -hmm. The day after it launched on the cover of the Wall Street Journal, it said the PC Junior is a flop. Um, and that motivated Tony to find a better way to research and develop products. Um, and it, it cause it wasn't, a, it wasn't a lack of investment and in trying for IBM to figure out how do they enter this market? Um, and that's was born out of that was a uh, strategen, uh, leveraging the jobs to be done theory and, and turning that theory into an innovation practice that we call outcome-driven innovation. And we've been helping businesses, uh, small, medium, and large uh, for 30 years develop breakthrough products. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, this is, uh, it's, it's an awesome framework. Uh, it, it's a complex framework. And I think that's probably a good place to start uh, at a high level is just, just so everybody's kind of on the same page. Can you walk me through the, the framework and its elements? Yeah, sure. And it's interesting you say, you say complex. I would say that it's complex in the sense that there's a, there's a series of steps, but um, the principles of Jobs to be Done is, is actually, it's a simplifying methodology. Mm -hmm. um, it's really an, an, an economic principle to simplify problem solving. Um, so um, most businesses uh, operate in a solution mindset. They talk technology, they talk ideas. Um, and what that causes organizations to do is self-limit themselves by talking about a technology type or a product type. We're in the circular saw market, as an example, um, versus we're in the market to help uh, roofers or tradesmen cut wood in a straight line, right? And 
just in that example, what I've demonstrated is the jobs to be done uh, principle is that jobs to be done lives in the problem space, agnostic of whatever solution that uh, you're, uh, you're using. And why that's important is if you ground yourself in a technology or a solution space, you self-limit yourself to that technology and you unconsciously put a constraint on your business, who you view your competitors are, and the new types of technologies that may exist to get that job done or, or that your customers may use to uh, use solutions. Um, so, you know, if you were to view yourself as in the market of helping roofers and tradesmen cut wood in a straight line, uh, just that principle, if you take that to an engineer and say, uh, we want you to help these group of people to uh, cut wood in a straight line, want you to think of a, a solution to get that done. Well, immediately now my creativity is sort of freed up. I'm not limited to a constraint of how do I improve the circular saw, right? We see this in every client that we work with is that they, they come to us and they, you know, they start off with a technology mindset. This is the technology that we're in. Um, and the big power is just getting them to have that slight change in mindset to understand that what does our product do? What job? Uh, is our product helping them get done? Um, and then the the additional benefit to this is not just opening the possibilities of how to help them get the job done from a technology perspective, but it also opens them up to who their real their other competitors are. Um, mm. So using a using a different example, there was an interview with uh, Reed Hastings at Netflix. Uh, this is probably a year or two ago. And he was asked about his his competitors, and the the host was you know talking about other streamers um, that were you know that are on the market, whether it's you know Hulu, Apple TV, et cetera. And he said, you know, while they are competitors, our, our mindset is that our competitors are also Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, um, because we're in the job of entertaining people when they have free time. Mm. Um, and you might even go as far to say that a competitor to, to Netflix might be going on a walk with a friend or a spouse because I have free time or reading a book. Um, and because that's the job that you're, you're getting done is entertaining somebody when they have some free time. Um, and if you just look at yourself as a, you know, a streamer, then you're going to limit your technology and your options and the different types of features to that platform versus understanding that, hey, people use you to entertain themselves when they have free time and people switch solutions all the time. So the, the power of that mindset grounds you as a simplifying concept to understand what is the problem that your customers are trying to ultimately achieve? What job is it that they're trying to get done? Gotcha. Gotcha. Thanks for taking me through that. One place that I'd like to dive a little bit into um, okay, if you can clarify for me, there's three different types of customers or three different types of people that are uh, going to be using a product. Can you can you walk me through that element of the job to be done framework? Yeah. So in our research, you know what we discovered is that there's um, essentially three customer types related to a job to be done. Um, there is what we call the job executor, the person that's actively solving the problem. Right. There's the product lifecycle support team, 
This is the person that is installing, repairing, cleaning, disposing, recycling, the whole product life cycle of, of the product. Um, and then there's the purchase decision maker. Um, in the B2C world, that tends to be the same person, right? They have those three roles associated with it. Um, now, why that's important is really important in, in the B2B world, um, because oftentimes us as marketers, we, we put all of those responsibilities into one person. But as you know, in the B2B world, especially when you're, when you're talking about products that are tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars, there's multiple people or even teams uh, that are part of this buyer's journey or this, this purchasing process. And breaking the groups up into these different functions really simplifies, again, what are the problems that they're trying to solve associated with their role? So um, using, a, let's say, a B2B SaaS example, uh, your job executor, the person that's going to be using your SaaS product, the person that's the functional job of whatever it is, whatever the problem that you're solving for, mm-hmm. uh, that's the core of your messaging, right? Then you have the your product lifecycle support team. That could be your IT team. It could be a, a data management team of how this uh, SaaS platform is going to integrate with your CRM or your other tools. And they have a whole different set of requirements, right? The ease of, of it connecting up to your platform. What format does the, the data come out in? Um, you know, is there upkeep? Is there maintenance? Is there storage components that we have to, that we have to think about, right? Um, now, using that scenario compared to the job executor, the job executor doesn't really care about those components, mm-hmm. right? When they're looking to purchase a product, they're not thinking about all those set up, install, repair, upkeep components of, uh, of the product, right? Those problems don't rate that very high, but they do for the product lifecycle support team. Um, so it's important to understand those, but then understand those in relation to your audience. And then obviously the third group is your purchase decision maker. Um, and oftentimes, you know, when B2B, when you're talking about large organizations, that could be procurement. Um, it could be, you know, an executive. Um, and their outcomes are all financial outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so understanding those three groupings helps simplify if you're a marketer to say, uh, here, are the, here are the three different you know, ICPs or, or target personas, here's the groups that they live in, and here are the different problems that uh, they're, they're looking to solve in relation to that. Then it's looking at the, the journey at which, when do these people become involved in the decision process, right? Mm-hmm. And when do you introduce those parts of the story or that part of the messaging to your potential customers, right? Mm-hmm. Gotcha, cool. The last part that I'd like to uh, get a little bit of clarification on uh, before we really dive into the website is this idea of there, there are uh, related jobs also to the job executor, right? There's the core functional mm-hmm. job, but then there are also related jobs, whether they come before, during, or after, right? That's right. So related jobs, they're in the same category. And the way we think about those is um, if you have a product, let's say uh, cutting wood in a straight line, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you have a product like a circular saw or something that helps you get that job done. Uh, a related job might be measuring uh, the piece of wood, 
right? Measuring the accuracy of the piece of wood, making sure it's level, those sorts of things. And uh, using a SaaS example, um, this is where you can start to get into, where you start to think about platforms. Um, so when you have platforms in the SaaS world, you're getting, you're getting many related jobs done, right? Mm -hmm. So if you think about, let's say, uh, Salesforce or a CRM platform, right? Salesforce has, you know, Pardot and they have, you know, reporting and analytics and they have analysis, they have organization, they have all these different related jobs that roll up to a platform. So if you are in the business of looking forward to building, let's say a platform level solution, you start with your core functional job of what you do better than anybody else, right? Mm -hmm. And then you expand from the core and start to do add on those related jobs and start to build a platform of getting related jobs done or higher level jobs done, right? Mm -hmm. That's the gotcha. way to think about it. Gotcha. One thing I am curious about, uh, every job has a standardized uh, succession of eight steps, um, right? Or, or does it kind of change yeah. between jobs? Yeah, so uh, you know what we discovered is there's the core functional job of let's say you can just can use the same example again but like cutting wood right what we have discovered is that um, in the process of getting the job done there are eight steps that exist that are pretty much universal across any job and it starts with defining the problem right i need to cut this wood in a straight line mm -hmm. right then I need to locate the resources and the components for uh, me to cut this piece of wood. Then I need to prepare it, right? I need to make sure I have power. I need to make sure it's operating cor correctly, right? Then I'm going to confirm that everything is ready to go, that the line is ready. I have the measurements. I have everything prepared and ready to go. Then I'm going to execute. I'm going to actually do it. Then I'm going to monitor, I'm going to look back when I'm finished and monitor how well did that solution complete that job for me, right? And if it didn't, then I'm going to modify and I'm going to go back and do it again. And then I'm going to conclude. Um, and why that's a, a really powerful process to go through is that we find that a lot of opportunity for businesses and their products is looking upstream and downstream of that actual executing the job to help people get more of that job done. So let's take the job of, uh, of, of being fit, of living a healthy lifestyle, right? And you have a bike, right? The bike helps you work out, helps you stay fit. Well, if I'm trying to develop more of that job, I'm going to look at that process of getting fit, right? Of making sure that uh, helping me stay motivated, helping me, helping me make sure that I have the right clothes and the right gear, the right uh, plan in place to make sure that I show up every day, right? So looking at that entire process, I can develop a, a product and a platform to help me go all the way up to define and say, help me even define what my fitness goals are, right? Uh, help me locate the tools and uh, the, the gear, the, the shoes or whatever it is, make sure it's, it's ready there for, for me to do um, and then execute on it and then monitor how well did I do, right? How well did I do that day compared to previous days? Um, and should I modify it to improve that, right? So just using the full job map uh, really helps you understand where you can add value in 
your customers and the customer's problem. And what we have found is many times the underserved needs when we, when we research these jobs are in a lot of these early steps, like defining the problem, uh, locating all the, the components to helping them make sure that they are uh, solving the problem correctly, right? Um, an example that I love to give, um, we work with uh, several large financial institutions um, and let's say the job of managing daily cash flow, right? You have products living in the solution space of like checking accounts, credit cards, um, savings accounts, right? The job of managing daily cash flow is what I'm trying to do, right? Well, what we find is a lot of those underserved needs are way up front in educating the consumer in how to manage my daily cash flow. Sure, you've given me a credit card and and a checking account and savings account, but how do I effectively use this to make sure that I am managing my daily cash flow effectively, right? And that's where you started to see companies like Mint becoming really popular, um, where they start to help you do some of those early things where they track your spending, help you monitor, help you build budgets, that part of the job. It's all part of that managing the daily cash flow. Mm-hmm. But they're focused on the front end and they don't, they didn't have a product. They didn't have a credit card. They didn't have a savings account, but they were helping people do that front end part of it. And then they slowly move into the actual executing of managing that daily cash flow. So there's a ton of untapped value when you look at the whole job map of getting that job done. And what we recommend is you start with your core job. You look across your eight steps and you focus on delivering value across those eight steps. And once you develop value across those eight steps, then you start looking at related jobs to start to add to that core. So you have a very you have a, a very systematic way of growing out from the core. First, you start with your core job, right? That, you, that you're going to do better than anybody else. And then you start to add on related jobs. And it becomes a very systematic approach to delivering value and developing products. So now we're talking about... Um as far as being able to to help your customers achieve the job uh, that they're trying to get done, it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a question of and correct me if I'm wrong here. It's a question of different offerings that 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 you can provide the customer, um, the core product that you're using, and perhaps all of the other educational resources around it that help you or help the customer from step one to step eight whether it's in your product or not, but you can also offer, like you said, educational resources that kind of lead up to the product and any of any other kind of um, tools, if you will, or, or um, resources to help complete it. Am, am I phrasing that properly or should a product in and of itself solve all eight steps within it? Whether the product or the marketing, let's say, and the education piece is solving that job. I think that's a that, that can be a business decision. I think you see a mm. lot of, which especially in the SaaS world now, a lot of the marketing is really helping to educate and to inform related to that job. Um, and you could argue that that's, that's part of that job, uh, sure. part of that job. So you can build it into the product 100%, but you can also leverage some components of that within your marketing and your story that you give away, right? That you, or not give away, but that you, you make it open that allow people to discover you allow people to understand that you, your product and your ethos of your, of your companies that is truly to help them, you know, manage your daily cash flow. So I'm going to mm-hmm. put out, maybe it's a free app or maybe it's a podcast uh, or a webinar talking with uh, Dave Ramsey of how to pay down your mortgage or, or whatever that is, right? You're giving those free resources away 
to help you manage your daily cash flow. Um, that's part of your marketing as well. That's a awesome. business decision though. It doesn't have to be necessarily inside the call, the paid wall of the product. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, cool. You're knocking on the door of what I wanted to, to speak with you next. Um, and, and that's harnessing the jobs to be done framework for go-to-market teams. Um, and I wanted to frame this uh, in, in particular context, which is this, sure. um, you know, we seem to be going through some paradigm shifts uh, in the B2B SaaS go-to-market world, some in part because of the pandemic and its economic aftermath that we're experiencing right now. <laughs> but I, I think other shifts started taking place before the pandemic struck. But one of them is this uh, seemingly shared understanding that the growth at all costs mindset is mostly unsustainable, right? We're seeing this return to rigor um, and a focus on efficiency, right? We're seeing this in the rise of RevOps and the CRO role, the chief revenue officer role. I actually uh, came across a, an article a couple months back that said, um, the CMO is starting to be replaced by the CRO. And that could be a, a little bit clickbaity, but I think there's a reality. Uh, there, there's a reason why that that, that article exists. Um, but there's also an understanding that the customer perspective, the buyer journey, their, their needs and wants, their overall experience is much more important to achieving sustainable growth. It's also a lot more nuanced. Right. And we're, we're seeing that in the rise of customer success, especially in, in B2B SaaS. Mm -hmm. And then adjacent to that is this broader discussion around the concepts of demand creation and demand capture uh, within hypersaturated markets, like how to do it, what it looks like, right. Let alone what I mean, because I, you know, you, you can talk to somebody and they think they're doing uh, uh, demand uh, creation, but they're really just doing uh, demand capture. Um, coming full circle, mm -hmm. um, I, I looked up the phrase jobs to be done uh, in Google Trends, and the search interest actually peaked uh, in April of last year, which was right when the economic downturn started to, to pick up steam. I'm curious, do you think that's a coincidence or is the writing on the wall and people are understanding that something's got to change and, and we've got to do things differently here? Yeah, you know, uh, jobs to be done, I think there's, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, mm -hmm. uh, jobs to be done has had a, a very long history. Um, so I guess I'll, I'll start there. Its concept can go back to Theodore Levitt. So if you know, think about old school, you know, uh, business minds, Theodore Levitt, it's kind of the OG uh, when it comes to that type of thinking. And, and he didn't call it jobs to be done. Mm -hmm. um, but in his paper, I think it's called Custom Myopia in like the 1960s, where he talks about um, products are used to solve customer problems, right? And you need to understand the customer problem um, at its core. And, you know, over since the, I would say, you know, the coinage of the term and our, our pioneering of it with Clayton Christensen, you know, mm -hmm. we worked with him in the late 90s. Um, he wrote about it in his book, Innovation, uh, Innovator's Dilemma, um, Innovator's Solution, and then um, uh, Competing Against Luck was his uh, most recent book before he passed in, I think, 2016. So it's had a, the phrasing and the term has had a long history um, in the, I'll call it the product innovation, in the product innovation space. 
Um, and it's, it, it, it sort of has this every year, it continues to grow and, and more and more people begin to see a benefit from it. I think mm -hmm. the most recent group of people that begin to see a benefit is as marketers is what you're alluding to, right? So it's been a, it's been a popular um, uh, mindset theory framework in the, in the product innovation space for many years. And now it's, okay, well, this is a uh, concept, help us simplify how to understand our customers. And at the core of every business, and product success is simply put, how well do you understand your customers' needs and how well do you deliver on those needs? And I think a lot of the popularity related to jobs to be done, you know, if you look back to last year, talk about businesses needing to uh, really understand and perform, they result back to needing to understand their customers, what they're trying to get done, what is the job that they're trying to get done, um, and how do we deliver value for them? And there's there's no other framework that boils it down to that simplistic solution agnostic lens, and and that's that's why I think it's gained a lot of popularity. Gotcha. I imagine these are in depth interviews or surveys that that uh, when when a client hires strategy that that you have to go through uh, that you obviously source for innovation strategy um what's the process there yeah so for the listeners i i think just breaking this down real quickly you know there's the overall job that they're trying to get done um and then one layer below that are those eight categories from defining locating preparing executing that that's the job steps related to that job it's mm -hmm. a great hbr article that we wrote back in 2008 that breaks that down um, that Tony Alwick wrote. So if you want to search for the job steps, um, mm -hmm. I'm going to pause right there at just that job step level. Uh, for people that are new to jobs to be done or, or wanting to learn how to apply it, there's a ton of value in just understanding the job and the job steps that they take, right? Um, and then one layer below that is are what we call outcomes. Underneath the job and the job step, there's outcomes that customers use to measure the success of that job step. So it's the most granular version of a customer need, right? I'm going to minimize the time it takes for me to do something, or I'm gonna minimize the likelihood that uh, something bad is gonna happen, right? Those are the outcomes that consumers use to measure the value of how well that job step is, is being performed. How long does it take to capture an entire core job functions outcomes with a customer? Is that like a quarter long process? Is that a couple of no. interviews? What does that look like? Yeah, it, it's much simpler. You can get to a job and job step level in one interview pretty easily. Usually what we do is we go in with a hypothesized job and a job map um, going into the interview. And then we'll ask the customer uh, solution agnostic questions. What are you trying to do in this situation? Um, okay, what are you doing next? What do you find difficult or time consuming about that? Okay, and then what do you do next? Usually within one interview, we can get we can get pretty close to a completed job map. And then it usually takes three to five interviews to get to a complete outcome, outcome list. And gotcha. we have found that an outcome list related to a job can be comprised of between 75 and 150 customer needs. Um, and okay. usually when we say that, most people are a, a little 
you know, there's a little bit of an awe of like, that's how do you get that many needs related to a job? That's really where the power of, of the outcome-driven innovation process comes in because we're getting very granular needs that are important to the customer that you're not necessarily going to find in some consumer report somewhere or some industry study where they're talking about the high-level problems. We're getting very granular need sets. And this is where you can really begin to differentiate yourself and understand those individual pain points. Um, so usually between three and five interviews, we'll feel like we have a complete outcome list. And gen generally, we'll start off with mapping the job map, and then we'll take a job step. We use our job map as sort of our interview guide, okay, and say, in this job step, tell me what you're trying to do here. Again, what, what do you feel is time consuming about that? What is frustrating about that? What are you ultimately trying to do? And they'll give us different you know, different reasons and we'll record those and then we'll, we'll read them back to them and say, is this, is this how you would describe it? And then they'll confirm it. Um, usually again, it takes between three and five where we're not seeing, we're not seeing any repetition in the needs that they're giving us. Right. So mm -hmm. at a certain point there, we're hearing the same needs over and over again. If we're hearing new needs in each interview, then we'll continue interviewing people. Um, but we generally get to a mass around five. Um, and when we do, when we do a project just to uh, make sure that we have the right fidelity, we usually go up to 10 just to be certain. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, 75 to 150 outcomes per job. That does seem a little overwhelming, but what I'm hearing when I, when you say that is that's 75 to hundred different touch points that you as a company can help your customer with, whether it's within the product or, that's uh, right. Uh, educational resources around it. That's right. I'll be high level with the next step. So um, our goal in that step is just to understand the universe of needs, mm -hmm. right? So now we understand the universe of needs that your customers have related to a job, right? We haven't hypothesized which ones are underserved. We haven't hypothesized which ones are overserved. That's not the goal. The goal is in this step is to understand every possible need that may exist related to that job, right? Because that's what sets up the quality of the quantitative step that we go through, right? So mm -hmm. then what we do is recruit a, uh, a sample size of your job executors. Um, their paid surveys it can be, you know, several hundred or a thousand, depending on what the sample size is, is necessary to be statistically significant. Um, and we'll ask them two questions related to each outcome. How important is this to you in getting the job done? And how satisfied are you with your current solution in getting that job done? So a couple of things happen there. So we, we anchor them in the current solution that they're currently using. So we get a, a current score of how satisfied they are with their current solution. We also get insight into what solution they're currently using. Mm -hmm. um, but then we also understand how important it is. And this is where a lot of what we find is a lot of uh, surveys miss is the importance score. Most surveys satisfaction scores just ask you how satisfied were you with this, right? And customers will say, oh, I'm very satisfied. And then everybody's like, oh, high five in each other. They're very satisfied. But guess what? <laughs> a lot of times those aren't very important. They're not important needs. And it gives the, it gives the product teams and the marketing teams a false direction and how and where to develop and what to message to, right? So they have a group of needs that the team thinks is highly satisfied. The marketing team's like, yeah, we're going to tout those, we're going to tout those scores. We're very satisfied. These are the types of features that we're going to message to, 
And then the product team is like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to continue developing uh, down this path. Well, if those, if those needs are unimportant, right, then, then you're wasting your marketing energy and marketing opportunity talking about those needs. And more importantly, from a product perspective, you've added cost Mm -hmm. to your product related to those needs. So when we find those, when we find those needs that are unimportant and satisfied, part of our recommendation is, is, is around this can be a cost saving opportunity. So if you're talking about an economic cycle that we're in right now related to a recession, this is where you want to circle and say, how do we take cost out of this product to either add margin back into our product, right? Um, or lower the cost to the customer, right? So this in this in this space of SaaS where you know it was grow at all costs and margins were negative, right? Mm-hmm. And now they're forced to determine, okay, how do we how do we have a profitable product? There's probably a lot of needs and a lot of features that you have built in there that you have to support, that you have to upkeep, um, that's costing the product that you can take out and the customers wouldn't notice. Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, go ahead. So yeah. So uh, we take that 150 need set, right? And then we do a quantitative quantitative uh, analysis on those. To, and that will give us a ranking of opportunity. Right. So we'll give an opportunity score related to those needs and come up with, let's say, the top 10 needs that are underserved that from a product development perspective, uh, well, product and marketing product first, we first ask the question, does your product actually serve this need and your customers just don't know it? Mm-hmm. So that's a marketing opportunity. We find that oftentimes where your product actually services this, but you're not talking about it and they don't, your customers don't know you have this opportunity. That happens a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And that's a quick fix, easy, low hanging fruit. If they don't, this is, these are the needs that you should put into your product development process. And what's great about that is now your product development teams can go into their design thinking processes, their agile processes with the confidence that we need to, we need to create value on this need. And there's no, there's no testing or iterating and there's no minimal viable product to see whether or not this feature is going to resonate. You know, way back within advance with statistically significant sample size that this is underserved. So there's no guessing in it. So what ends up happening is your time to market is is decreased because everybody's aligned, the product development teams aligned, the engineers are aligned, um, the executive team is aligned. So there's no roadblocks, um, and you go from the need to value creation much faster, much cheaper. Yeah, it sounds like the perfect source of truth to align the go to market team, whether you're marketing, sales, customer service. Everybody needs to be a part of this conversation in some way. And however you kind of centralize that across the organization, and it seems like now you've got this blueprint, like marketing knows perhaps uh, maybe where the product isn't the best compared to its competitors, and they can provide any kind of clarifying information there or strengthen their their content offering products and be like, okay, well, we know this, so now we need to improve this uh, in the meantime. Um, I mean, yeah, that's that's a... why aren't more people doing this? <laughs> What's the, I'm just curious there. What we have found is businesses, when they find out this, this process and they develop success from it, it becomes a competitive advantage for them and they don't like to talk about it. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, me as the marketing, one of the, one of the challenges I have is, is, is getting our clients on board to do a case study. Now we have some really impressive case studies. It's taken a lot of work to get there. But a lot of times we, uh, our clients will, uh, 
you know, that they say, we love you. We'll, we'll give you a referral. We'll give you a, a testimonial or something, but we won't do a, a, a case study to allow you to tout it, right? Because if they start to look at this as a big competitive advantage. Gotcha. And as you know, everybody starts to copy everything mm-hmm. um, that you find that, you know, that uh, you have. And once a competitor sees that another competitor is doing something, um, so th- th- that is one force that we that we have uh, been working around. And the other side of it too is, uh, you know, for the last 30 years, we've mostly done this for clients. We're now pivoting to train teams to do this themselves because um, we have found that companies want to have this as a core capability, right? They want to have they want to have a, a mini team. They want to have a qual person that's that's trained in how to extract these needs. They want to have a quant person that knows how to structure the surveys and get this out. And then how do these two individuals connect up to your product development team um, and then educate the business? And we're doing that. That's been that's been a, a big pivot for the organization to help train organizations do this. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm not surprised to hear that companies want to keep this uh, secret. What I'm curious about is how long is a training session uh, mm. or until at least a company feels like they're confident enough to actually take this on their own? Yeah, so we break it down into a couple different tiers. We've developed online courses that break down our process. Um, and it's the same training that we give our own innovation practitioners. Mm-hmm. Um and different people within the organization, we recommend for different levels of training. So let's say you're a product leader or a marketing leader. There's, re- there's basically a high level training that we want you to be familiar with the language and the terminology and the process, right? Um, if you're a qualitative or a quantitative person, we're gonna, go, we're gonna get you going really deep in on the fundamentals of it. And we'll go through the training. The training itself can be completed in about a month uh, to gotcha. six weeks. But as with anything, that's just the training piece of it you need to do a project to develop that muscle memory. So generally what we do is we will, um, we're flexible with different clients and, you know, what their needs and their budgets are, but we found that the the best success is we'll have a, uh, we'll select a core team within the client to do a core training. And then we'll select a project uh, within the organization that they want to do. And then we'll go along with them sitting you know, gotcha. uh, sitting shotgun on that first project and do it along with them. Right. Um, and then the next one, they're basically taking the lead and we're there as sort of a fall check, right. Correcting. And then, you know, taking the training wheels off sort of thing and just be there as a, as a support mechanism for them. Gotcha. Very cool. Um, I want to go through that training course. <laughs> I want to see if I can get, uh, web stacks our agency um signed up for something like that well so right now all of, all of our training our big training is is really at the organization and team level mm. in the next few months we will have an individual level uh for anybody to to sign up for um gotcha. so if there's uh, which is you know we find a lot of startups a lot of small organizations that you know they want somebody within the organization to to go through it uh, this is a product uh, for them so in the next couple of months we'll have that level uh, be ready for them. Perfect. Sounds great. Um, okay, cool. So, uh, kind of the last segment here, I'd like to bring the jobs to be done framework into the context of specifically, uh, website strategy. Um, because at the end of the day, I think we can all agree that the most important marketing asset that any company owns is the website. I don't think we're going to have, you know, any B2B SaaS marketer disagree with that point. 
Um, but given everything that we've just discussed uh, mm-hmm. and looking at the traditional B2B SaaS website, I can't help but feel that we're not embracing the jobs to be done mentality. Most of the websites that we see, they're designed just to go after that 3%, the grand majority. Obviously, we have, you know, there's companies that are embracing uh, jobs to be done. Uh, Calendly is actually good with this. They've they've leaned into that and trying to help their customers get a whole series of jobs uh, done. But most websites, I feel like they're really just playing that demand capture and going after that 3%, neglecting that 97% that are not ready to buy, right? Every website has a homepage use cases, industries, customer success stories, the pricing page, right? All co- very important. You're not going to be able to survive with it, without pages like that. Mm-hmm. But it, it seems that marketing teams pretty much stop there with their websites um, from like an educational standpoint. You know, you have your blog, right? Um, that's typically... The, the, the limitation there in my mind, though, is that blogs are pretty much only good at answering what and and how to questions, which again is great and necessary. But like, as we've been discussing, customers aren't just looking for what something is or how to do it properly or better. They're also looking for actionable ways to get their jobs done, whether it's core or related, uh, get it done better, more predictably, more efficiently. Um Kind of an example that, that we were discussing uh, last week was, you know, it, you can tell me how to calculate ROI in a blog, right? And that's great, but it'd be so much better if you provide me an ROI calculator, right? Now you're really helping me get my job done, that's again, right. whether it's core or related. Do you agree with that, that most websites aren't what they could be today from uh, resources? Standpoint? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, there's, a, there's a term strategic convergence that ends up happening that over time, everybody starts looking like one another because everybody's reading the same, uh, the same industry reports, the same Gartner, this is what you need to be doing uh, mm-hmm. type things. And everybody follows it to a T and everybody looks and starts sounding the same. Um, and they're just blindly following some roadmap that they've put together. Right. Uh, and this is really where the jobs be done framework, I think is so powerful. So um, us as marketers, we are problem solvers. We have creative problem solvers of everybody in the organization, right? We have to leverage data. We have to be creative. And uh, most of what we do, there's not a, like in accounting, you have gap, right? You generally accepted accounting principles. You follow that, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing in finance, right? Same thing in legal um, operations, right? You develop your operations, your process to deliver, et cetera. It's repeatable. Marketing, every day is a journey because you're trying to creatively problem solve and because you're dealing with psychology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're doing not just psychology, especially in the B2B space, you're dealing with the psychology of an organization and a group of people, right? And so bringing it back to jobs to be done, it's a simplifying concept. So when people use the term, Demand gen and demand creation. It's a great buzzword right now, um, but it doesn't explain what you're trying to do, right? Okay, so demand mm-hmm. creation is very much the, okay, that's the uh, company-centric view. I want to create demand, right? Well, let's break this down into a, a jobs be done framework and say, you have a group of customers that are looking to solve a problem to get a job done, right? 
um, and they're out there. They realize that I need to solve this problem. And they go into SEO and they find your, your web page. And now you're into the de demand capture, the problem capture, right? You're de you've developed your, your website to help them solve that problem that they're already looking for. They're problem aware, right? So in the stages of awareness, they're problem aware um, and you can help them solve their problem. Then that you start to get into the information search, education, bring them all the way down, et cetera. Now on the demand capture side, with that, where your tools become really powerful is not only can you, if it's a blog, uh, you can help them, you know, calculate what their ROI is. But if you develop a calculator that does that job for them, now what's going to happen is they're going to be motivated to share that with somebody, right? They're going to be motivated to talk about that with somebody, right? And then what happens in that moment when they go share that with somebody or go talk about that with somebody, that somebody may not realize that they have a problem yet, or they may not, they have the problem, but they just may not realize that they needed to solve that problem. They're using the spreadsheet is, for, for, right. Yes. When they can right. use a calculator or something. Right. Exactly. Right. So now what you've done with that tool in the demand, in the demand capture side is you've started to move up in the awareness funnel and you have now made somebody that was unaware of their problem aware of their problem, demand creation. So all demand creation is, is finding customers, people that are your ICP, right? And making them aware that they have a problem to solve and motivated to solve that problem, right? That's demand creation. That takes the, the mysticism off of demand creation, right? It's mm -hmm. what you're doing, the psychology of what you're doing is that you have a market of job executors using our, our terminology that are either unaware or unmotivated to solve your to solve a problem, right? And you, your marketing and your website and your tools can help them become aware and become motivated to solve that problem because they may not be motivated because they think the problem is hard or they haven't thought about it. They didn't know how easy it would be, right? And your website can serve that by, in your example, creating tools to demonstrate how easy it is to solve that problem. And what the benefit of solving that problem is going to be. And then they start sharing it, you know, using other buzzwords on dark social, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, mm -hmm. right? They start sharing it. And now you have ICPs, your target personas are sharing with other target personas, which is the greatest trust layer that exists, making them aware, making them motivated of a problem to solve, right? That's demand creation. Agreed. Um, I, I love that you brought in uh, the dark social because that definitely is something that everybody's talking about today. This is fodder for dark social. This is giving you something to lean on for, for people to interact with you, your company, your product in a more abstract way that is still related to your product. And you know that if somebody's interacting with this, you can connect those dots to your product eventually, right? This is all, now mm -hmm. we're talking about like buyer journey, buyer journey velocity, what have you. But as mm -hmm. you said, this is... This is creating the opportunity for your ICP to start talking about you early. And mm -hmm. that's the that's the beauty of the jobs to be done mentality, especially if you start uh, in the first steps, right? The define, the gather, you know, those kind of steps. Mm -hmm. If you're building content around that, if you're if you're providing uh, templates uh, or or calculators or toolboxes, that's a great way to get some evangelism behind your brand without them even having to buy your product. 
Um, mm -hmm. and that's, I think that's what we were talking about. Like that's the future of websites. You're starting to see companies take advantage of this, but it's definitely a big opportunity there. Um, and then if we like, ugh, there's so much, there's so much here. So, and, and then if, if you're, if you're creating content or tools or resources for not just the job executor, right. Mm -hmm. But also the, the, the purchase decision maker, the support team, right. Because if we're selling MarTech, the purchase decision maker is probably the CMO, right? But mm -hmm. the CMO is not going to be in the products. It's the end users, the job executor. Like, you know, if we're talking about mm -hmm. Ahrefs or something. The CMO is trying to get their own job done, right? You know, I'm sure that I'm sure every company can provide uh, something that eases the buying uh, uh, journey for the purchase decision maker a little bit. Same for the support team. If you have all these resources, resources on the website, and let's say you're using some business intelligence technology that doesn't necessarily tell you exactly who's using your resources, but you can see like a specific target account. Somebody's mm -hmm. using the job executor uh, resources. Somebody's interacting with the, the, the purchase decision. Somebody's interacting with the, now you have a more accurate window into an ABM strategy. Like this account is interacting with all of these tools. Maybe they're actually an MQL that is worth reaching, like handing over to sales. And now we have a more like a stronger understanding of what an MQL could be. Whereas today I feel like it's more so defined around that singular person, not the buyer yeah. group. We're essentially yeah. with jobs to be done mentality. That's a strategy for setting up your website as like an ABM ecosystem support. support yeah. Ecosystem. yeah. The, 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 I, I didn't want to add in the, the, the ABM component, um, but I, I, am I confusing that, something? No, 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 oh, okay. no, no. I, I mean, I, I wanted to, but I held off because uh, I didn't want to add another layer into into the complexities of the conversation. But you're 100 percent right. Like it fits directly into the ABM strategy because you're all your. It's a simplifying concept, right? You're breaking it down into its variables. This is what we do. Like everything about our principle is understanding the problem and then breaking it down into the variables that deliver value, right? And then understanding where those variables sit where they deliver value. So from the customer side, is it the job executor, the person that's gonna be using the tool? Is it the per product lifecycle support team where they're gonna be setting up, repairing it, installing it? Or is it the, is it the purchase decision maker where, where they just care about the financial, the financial uh, outcomes of the, um, of the product? And then breaking your content strategy, breaking your website strategy into those components. Now, now, you, now you have the variables set up in a nice clean format to do an ABM approach, right? You have mm -hmm. somebody come in, you have a job executor that's that's interested in, you fire up the ABM engines to understand who within that organization might be on the product lifecycle support team and you already have the, the content and the tools to start to target them, right? Mm -hmm. um, same thing with the, with the purchase decision maker. And you're targeting them with content that is relevant to them, not target that's not content that's not relevant to them. Right. And I think that's a, that's a, that's a big failure of the ABM stuff is a lot of people will take the they'll take any piece of content and they'll say, OK, well, here's a person that's interested in. And we know these five people are, are in there that, were, that are influences of this. We'll just target them with the same piece of content. Right. And mm -hmm. it's that it, it, you're, you're you're not speaking to them because that's not their problem they're trying to solve. That's not the job they're trying to get done. And and the beauty of the beauty about this is that. Uh, we could just be talking about the core job function right now. You have all of this opportunity for supporting content mm -hmm. uh, that you can, that's typically, you know, that's probably going to be phase one of the jobs to be mm -hmm. done. That's right. 
But now if you bring in the related jobs, that's a whole nother ring of, of awareness that you can be playing into it. Uh, where you can start the conversation even earlier, um, which we may have already clarified that, but I just wanted to, to to toss that back in there one more time. That this is there are also related jobs that we can build resources on the website uh, for 100%. also. A hundred percent, and um, and I, I think um, the the principle there for marketers to keep in mind. I'm just reminding them is that on the de demand creation side, right. Um, your goal is to help your target customers be aware of their problem, motivated to solve it, to solve it, and how easy it is to solve it, right? And that's the mindset of those tools, right? Is to demonstrate how easy it is to solve this, what the benefit of it it's going to be, right? And that's how you start to convince those uh, those customer those buyers who weren't buyers because. Buyer's journey starts with a buyer, right? We're going before the buyer's journey. It mm -hmm. starts to bring more buyers into more buyers into the journey. And the beautiful part about this is if you're the person, if you're the organization that has brought them into the journey, you're the first person that they're going to call. And 70, as you know, 70% of the of the journey is complete before they pick up the phone, mm -hmm. right? They 70% of the time they've already, they already know who they're going to choose before they go ahead and they, you know, uh, well, let's look at a competitor to see and talk to them. They've, they've made up their mind, especially if you're the one that was the one that turned the light bulb on. Beautiful. I appreciate you walking me through all of that, man. This was great. Um, a, a lot of good stuff to think about uh, just as far as, you know, first and foremost, becoming more customer centric, but then it's also what's the best way to be customer centric. And I think the jobs to be done framework provides that. Um, and then finally, just a great way to align teams, go to market teams around customer needs and finding the weak points within your product, but also within your own content marketing strategy and website strategy. So you know what other kinds of, of even, even if it's just a blog, right? That's sometimes that's all you're going to need, but also really diving deep into how can you solve customer problems with resources like, calculators and tools and templates and stuff like that. Like you said, being, being a little bit more creative with the problem solving that we have, because I think we've just kind of painted ourselves into a corner. We're just kind of, kind of in like wash, you know, rinse, repeat mode. And there's, there's kind of a disruption that needs to take place uh, when it comes to the website. And uh, I think the conversation that we had was the foundation of that and, and um, is definitely a nice way to help companies kind of find that, that, um, competitive edge, if you will, as you said. Yeah. So if, if I were to distill this into like a, a three point, a three point process for somebody to like to come up with a tool, right? I would say step one is understand your customer's job to be done. Mm -hmm. um, and you can do that right now. Right. Um, and if, if you're, if you're looking for a process to help that understand that you can search the uh, define your market through a job to be done lens in, in Google and you'll find a, a great uh, market definition landscape that we actually built with um, um, the gentleman who founded the lean startup uh, methodology. Um, and so step one, define your job to be done. Step two, map out those job steps, those eight job steps. There might be more, but they're going to have, you're going to have eight categories, right? Mm -hmm. Then that's step two is map out that job step. Then look at that job map and ask yourself, are there tools across that job map that I can develop 
to help them define or analyze or understand the problem. It's usually going to be in that upfront piece, right? Use that as your, as your map to develop a tool that your customer is actually going to care about because that's, that's the other part of it it's, is, okay, so now what tool, what tool should I put on my website, right? Um, sure, ROI calculators are fantastic, but wouldn't it be even better if we can develop a free tool on our website that helps them get part of their job done? So start with the job, map out the job map to understand, you know, where you can deliver value and see and come up with a, a you know, a tool that can get part of that job done on your website. Awesome. Um, thanks, man. Thanks for taking me through that. I've got uh, a couple of rapid fire questions for you. Who are your favorite B2B SaaS marketers to follow? Mm, I'll go one better and give a, a, a favorite book I've read um, this year. Mm-hmm. Um, by April Dumford, obviously, obviously awesome. awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's she's actually she's coming onto this podcast uh, in a couple of weeks. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, and her the beautiful thing about it is her concept is rooted in jobs to be done. Awesome. Last question for you: Will your strategy be participating in any upcoming events that listeners should know about? Two things. Um, one, we do a webinar um, every month uh, with Tony, our founder. Uh, the webinars are um, educational by design. So we try to teach people various concepts of the outcome-driven innovation process, how to understand your job, how to understand your job to be done, um, and then how to apply that stuff. Um, so we have one this month where it's it's how to build the products your customers want using mm-hmm. Jobs to be Done. Um, we also have a resource out there, Tony's most recent book, Jobs to be Done, Theory to Practice, which is, it's the it's the manual uh, on what we do. Um, we've made that for free. Um, so if you go awesome. to jobsbedonebook.com, you can download the, you can download the PDF, uh, or the audio version, um, for free. Great resources. This, is, this isn't like a 10, 15 page book. This is a book that was published and we've made it completely free. The mm. PDF version and the audio version. Awesome. There you have it. Uh, thanks, man. This has been great. Thanks, Adam. Really appreciate the time.